Donathan at this time. God, thank you for this young man who is a part of this church family. And we're so excited for his future with respect to his education and career. Uh, we are so grateful that he persevered through, you know, grade kindergarten all the way up to grade 12 and excelled. Uh, I pray for your blessing on his life and protection on his life. I pray that you would help him get into the college and the program that he wants to get into. Uh, would you guide him as to career choice, as to future spouse choice and family, if that's part of your will for him and if that's part of what uh, he desires as well. Uh, but just watch over him every step he takes now in the, and in the future uh, as well. I pray that not only his own family would be a great source of constant support and encouragement for him, but that we as a church family uh, would be an ongoing source of support and encouragement uh, for Jonathan going forward. So we give Jonathan to you. Uh, Lord, as we think about today's message, as we try to and desire to hear from you in the Bible, we ask that you would hear our prayer. Let our cry come to you. Do not hide your face from us in our time of distress. Incline your ear to us. Answer us speedily. Despite our hard and difficult times, you, Lord, are enthroned on high in heaven forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You are greater than our suffering. Thank you that you hear the prayer of the destitute, that you do not despise our desperate prayers. Thank you for the great hope that you've given us as your people in Jesus, where in the end all the nations of the earth will gather before you in the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, to worship you. And Holy Spirit, I ask for your help in this moment to teach well, to teach accurately and be true to your word and to teach with passion, uh, with your power. I want your message to come across clearly for your glory alone, would you change us on the spot by the work of your Spirit in our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. Edgar to come forward and read today's scripture for us. Psalms. Hello. <laughs> this is our scripture. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my day pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like a grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day, my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For it Ashes like bread and mingled tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I withered away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It's time to favor her. The appointed time has come. 
For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gathered together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He's broken my strength in mid-course. He's shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Thank you, Edgar. Uh, we're, our ser- series for the summer is called Summer in the Psalms. And the psalm that we're looking at today that Edgar read for us is Psalm 102. It's called, the title for today's message is, uh, Don't Hide Your Face From Me, O God. Don't Hide Your Face From Me. Oh God, is what we're looking at. Let me ask you this. How do you feel when other people sort of hide their faces from you? In other words, they don't get back to you when you reach out to them or communicate with them. Uh, for example, you send your spouse, your coworker, your family member, your friend, you, you shoot them a text, you send them an email, you send them a Facebook messenger message, but their response back to you is crickets, nothing. Not a zilch. Days go by. Still, nothing. Just warms the heart, doesn't it, when you get this sort of non-response. I mean, how does this make you feel when they're not getting back to you? Infuriated, probably. Not great. Uh, like, doesn't this person uh, respect me or care for me or care at all? Now, here's the thing. If it, you, maybe you can relate with me. Granted, you know, sometimes it's unintentional, right? You know, for me, if you send me a Facebook Messenger text, chances are good I will not respond. It's about 90, 95% that I will not. It's just like goes nowhere. I, I just can't keep. There's so many platforms now. It's hard to keep track of all this stuff. You know, phone calls, texts, emails, Messenger, can't keep it straight. So that might be you, and that is a very legitimate reason, okay? This would be me. Other times, though, the person that you're trying to reach out to and get a response from, they actually make the choice, nope, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to get back to that person. It's the 21st century version of what is known as the silent treatment. Don't you just love the silent treatment when someone treats you this way? They pay you back, all right? They try to make you angry. They try to push your buttons by choosing silence, hiding your face towards you. And there's nothing Worse, especially if you're married, if the silent treatment is going on. Anyone want to confess to being a person who loves giving your spouse the silent treatment? I didn't think so. Uh, Here's my point. (laughs) Have you ever felt this way towards God, this sort of frustration towards God? You pray, and then you pray some more, and then you pray some more, but it's like nothing coming back, all right? No response. Maybe someone that you love dearly, or it might be yourself, you might be saying, please heal me, or please heal or help this 
sick person that I love very much. Please help my friend get that job that they need so badly. Please help my marriage sort of get back on track again or help my, my kids with their maybe their disability or whatever challenge that they have uh, or their school situation. And sometimes you pray these heartfelt, desperate prayers towards God and all you get in response is silence, like crickets, nothing, nada, zilch. Where if this has happened to you like it's happened to me, here's the hope and the good news. The good news is, if you feel like God's not listening, you're in good company. It happened also to the writer of Psalm 102 that Edgar read for us, all right? He felt the same way. Or rather, he started in the same very dark, hopeless place, but he ended up, at the end of the psalm, in a much better place as he wrestled through this issue of God's perceived silence. And very often, it's our perception that's wrong. God is not necessarily silent. We're just perceiving it that way. Anyhow, all this to say, there's hope for you if you feel like God is hiding his face from you, um, like he is not responding to your gut-wrenching prayers towards him. This psalm gives us hope uh, today and some direction on what to do with God's perceived silence. All right, let's transition. I want to begin with this quick overview. It's a rather long psalm, but don't worry. I don't think the message is terribly long. And just before verse 1, as I talk about this overview, there's a little subtitle thing. And if you have your Bibles open, it's probably, you will notice this little subtitle. And this little subtitle, all throughout the Psalms, there's little subtitles that often sort of set the direction or set the theme for what that Psalm is going to be about. And the subtitle of this one indicates that this is a prayer, this is a, a songful soulful prayer of someone who's really afflicted, like life is going really bad for this person who wrote this. Some sort of possibly physical suffering or spiritual suffering, or maybe it's both. And that is why this psalm is categorized, and it's what is known as an individual lament. When you lament, you're, you're crying, you're messed up, you're destroyed emotionally, and you're pouring your heart out towards God. That's what's happening in this psalm. It's a sad song. Remember Elton John? It's a sad, a sad song. It was a popular song, I think, in the early 80s. Anyone alive in the early 80s? A few of you. Um, but anyhow, it's a bad... I don't like that song, actually. It's very sad. Anyhow, the, the, some themes that we see in this psalm, there's themes of the shortness of life, the brevity of life, and also, how do I deal with my unexplained suffering? But here's the thing. The psalm ends on a high note at the end. All right? Much more hopeful at the end. It teaches the people of God to see with the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith see differently than your physical eyes. All right? And the eyes of faith are all about being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, as Hebrews 11 talks about. And with your eyes of faith, you and I are called to keep our eyes of faith looking forward to our future hope of heaven with God forevermore, especially in our times of unexplained suffering. All right. We're going to drill down now on verses 1 and 2. And it does help to have it in front of you if you can have access to it, whether it's an app or an actual Bible. And verses 1 and 2, I put it on the screen as well. And here's what the psalmist says, and I sort of paraphrase here. He's saying, you know, hear me, Lord. Listen, don't hide your face from me right when I need you. Respond to me quickly, right away. I'm calling, but you're not answering. It's kind of hard when that happens. And in these first two verses, can you see or can you hear sort of how bold this guy is? I mean, 
He's very urgent. He's very desperate. You see, his fear is that God is not listening, that God has shut his ears towards him, that God is kind of playing hide-and-go-seek here with this guy and kind of messing with his mind. God has no intention of eventually showing his face to him. Do you ever feel this way? And perhaps there's nothing worse than if you believe, you know, God, it feels like God has no time for me. It feels like God has rejected me. It feels like God wants nothing to do with me. That's a horrible, horrible feeling. But let us remember the great gospel truth that if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've repented of your sins, you've trusted in Him, and you've been baptized, you're a Christian and you're in Christ. You're identified as now a follower of Jesus. If that's you, here's the great gospel truth. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more And there is nothing that you've done to make God love you any less. Nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you've done to make God love you any less. Isn't that great? In Christ, you're his beloved son. You're his beloved daughter. You're part of God's family forevermore. And that helps a lot to be reminded about that truth. But I digress when I mention this. Here's the point. This is point number one on the outline in your bulletin if you do want to follow along. Point number one. Uh, from verses 1 and 2, is this. Namely, boldly, urgently, and confidently pour out your troubles to God. Boldly, urgently, confidently pour out your troubles. Basically, just pour out your heart to God on an ongoing, regular basis. It's, it's healthy. It's right. It's what we see God telling us to do in this psalm. Let me ask you this. If we were to listen in, this would be embarrassing, I'm sure, but if we were to listen in on each other's prayers, if you were to listen in on my prayers, would my prayers sound bold, confident, urgent? Would your prayers sound bold, urgent, and confident? What's the answer? How about when you're undergoing suffering? Would your prayers sound bold, urgent, and confident? I don't know. And so this is something I'm really working on and feeling convicted about. But in connection with the point, let me give you this one example. Some of you probably know, because I talk about it all the time, my lower back pain. I am a whiner and a complainer, and uh, you're tired of hearing the broken record of my suffering. Anyhow, here's, let me just tell the story. Two Sundays ago, I finally got my MRI scan at Peace Portal Hospital, and they said that night after the scan was over, Don't you worry, your doctor will get back to you in four business days or less. Okay, I say, sounds good to me. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, have you met my doctor? Anyhow, (laughs) after waiting four business days and hearing nothing from my doctor, I call on the morning of the fifth business day, very politely and respectfully, I ask, hey, uh, anything about my MRI? at this point. They say, no, they can't find the scan. They can't find this thing. Um, But they did say, you know what, we'll look for it. I'm like, thank you for looking for something for me. You'll look for it. You're going to do that for me? You're so kind. Can you sense my, anyhow. We'll look for it and we'll get back, we'll promise, well they didn't promise, but they said, we will look for it and we'll get back to you whether we find it or not. I said, okay. Now, did they call later that day? They did not. All right, so as you can imagine, I'm feeling a little perturbed. 
and I call them back on Tuesday morning. So that was Monday. I call on Tuesday morning, and I call up my doctor's office, and I say, look, um, uh, th this is the, the third time I've called you guys about my MRI results, um, and twice, so anyhow, I think I messed up the story, but anyhow, I actually called three times, so the third time, this is the third time, I don't know what happened there, but this is the third time I've called you guys about these results, and twice you said you called me back, and no one called me back, and I've received nothing, like nada, so what in the world's going on? The MRI people said they would send back the results within four business days or less, okay? And, and that's the deal. Well, that resulted in a rather defensive posture uh, from the receptionist at my doctor's office, and she, uh, she said, well, don't you know the doctor? Your doctor's been away on holidays for several weeks now. Didn't you know that? And I said, no, I didn't. No one told me. I mean, I would have understood. At which point I say, look, here's my fear. My fear is that my MRI results are sitting on my family doctor's desk collecting dust. And so I insist that somebody get back to me about these results ASAP. I insist. Well, guess what happens? Message received. My doctor called me within 10 minutes. And apparently that, those results were collecting dust on the, they didn't tell me that, but I sort of have my hunch, my, my guess is. And I get a doctor, and this doctor, she's, she's a little nervous. And uh, anyhow, she has magically found my MRI results. And after blowing the dust off them, after sitting there for you know, several days, uh, but she gives me the results and we figure out a plan from there. But do you see my point? I don't know if you see my point. <laughs> Um, I've learned that in terms of your own health, no one's going to fight for you. You're the one who has to fight for yourself or find a spouse or a family member or a friend who's going to You need someone, you've got to fight for yourself, right? When it comes to the medical system, if you don't fight for you, no one else will. And when it comes to your suffering and your adversity for your faith or your temptation to sin against God, so must you, so must I boldly, urgently, confidently Take our concerns to God in prayer, respectfully, not disrespectfully, perhaps like I did to this receptionist, but with God, take your concern to Him. He is big enough, His shoulders are big enough to deal with whatever big complaint and big need that you have. This is what the psalmist does, and this is what we must do. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, talks about, and I love these verses because they, they're just mind-blowing. I struggle with this constant fear and worry in myself that God doesn't like me or love me or doesn't want to listen to my concern. And I don't know where that comes from, but it needs to be beaten down constantly. And these verses help beat that false idea of God down. And here's what Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 say. Would you hear these words? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here it is. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I'm asking you, with confidence, Will you draw near to the throne of grace so that you may and will receive mercy and find grace in your moment of need? I'm saying, pray to God with boldness. 
pray to God with urgency. Pray to God with confidence, like the writer of Psalm 102 is doing here. Now, here's the thing, and I want to mention this. This is just something in brief that I need to sort of explain, because sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we think he should or that we would like him to. Here's what happens in prayer. God answers every time, by the way. God answers our prayers with either a yes or no or a maybe. Yes, yeah, he may answer your prayer right away. Or the Lord may say later. The Lord may answer your prayer later on. You've got to be patient. Or he may answer your prayer with a no. And it's not according to his will for reasons that only God knows. But don't let God's sovereign choice and sovereign rule over your life and over the world Don't let his sovereign choice uh, mess with how you pray to him. Don't let his sovereign rule stop you from praying boldly. Keep praying boldly. Keep praying boldly. If you stop praying boldly to God, all that shows is a lack of confidence and a lack of faith and a lack of trust in our good and sovereign and loving God. Let's move on. Let's transition now. You ready to transition? Let's move on. Let's summarize now as we get to the next section. Uh, look at Psalm, uh, verses 3 through 11. And here's what this section is all about. This is actually the darkest time or period or part of Psalm 102. In verses 3 through 11, the psalmist is complaining to God. And he's, he's like, I feel terrible. He's like, my days are passing away like smoke. You ever feel that way? His bones burn. Okay, not heartburn, but his bones are burning. His heart is withering. Things are so bad that he's forgetting to eat. And that is something I cannot relate to at all because when things are bad for me, I eat more. I eat a lot. But he can't eat. He can't sleep. He's drinking tears, falling down his face into his mouth. That is his source of water. His enemies are taunting him all day long. And the question is, why is this happening according to the psalmist? Why is this happening to him? Why are things so bad? Here's why. The Lord's indignation and anger is happening towards him in some way. That's pretty intense. But that seems to be what he believes is going on. God is incensed. He's kind of angry. He's kind of upset towards me. In other words, the Lord is disciplining him. The Lord is disciplining him for some reason. Now, no specific sin is listed by the psalmist or identified, so nothing suggests that this psalmist has fallen off the deep end and, you know, did something he didn't, shouldn't have done this weekend, all right? Um, he's, like he's gone on a sin binge. It does not seem to be that sort of situation. But here's the thing. The psalmist, he connects his hardship with God's discipline. He's being disciplined. God is allowing him to experience very difficult times Why? To mold and to shape and to form his character so that, and to strengthen his character so that he displays more of God's character in his own life. That's why hardship happens to you. That's why hardship happens to me. God is molding, shaping, and forming your character to look, sound, and be like the character, the ultimate character of Jesus. That leads us to point number two, if you're following along in your notes. Here it is. It is good, it is wise to humbly Face and admit your own weakness, limitations, and mortality when undergoing God's discipline in your life. It's good, it's wise to humbly face and admit your own weakness, limitations, and mortality when undergoing God's discipline in your life. This is so countercultural to our world today. You know our world, and you know this if you're on social media, 
Our world, world encourages you to be all about yourself. Showcase your strengths. Diminish and hide your limitations. Diminish your weaknesses. Put those under the carpet, all right? Don't show off that. Show off your strength. Prove to the world how great and strong and how capable and how gifted you really are. Put that on social media. That's what you do. But here's the thing. Psalm 102 has a very different approach here, a very different message. He is actually showcasing to us and to God not his strength, but his limitations. Showing his, admitting his weakness. All right? He is actually promoting how, how limited he is. And he's laying all of his acknowledged weakness at the feet of Jesus here. That is good. And so must we. So must you. It's just wise. It's just, let's just face reality about our limitations, about our weakness, about our struggle with sin. Let's just admit the truth before God, how much we need him. Remember that song? I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That is the smartest thing to pray when it comes to facing our limitations before God. Let me tell you a quick Bible story. You ready for Bible story time? Bible story from the Old Testament. I want to talk about a man by the name of Job. And the book of Job is quite a lengthy book, but I'm going to summarize it here. And uh, it's a fascinating book. Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham. So this goes back to about 1600 B.C. before Christ. And this, this story of Job is famous because it appears to Job that God basically blows up his life. He destroys his life for no good reason. Has ever happened to you? Feel like your life is destroyed for no good reason? I mean, come on. Come on, God. His kids are taken away. His possessions, his livelihood, his means of making money taken away. His health later is taken away. He's covered with boils. And God gives him no reason whatsoever for this discipline. And so, guess who launches into a tirade of complaining, this, this complaining session? Job does. Which, by the way, it's okay to complain to God. <laughs> There's no better place to take your complaints to. Yes, your complaint, the motivation might be sinful and all the rest, but at least God can start to work on you as you uh, share your complaint with Him. God may have something to say in response to your complaints towards Him. And in Job's case... God responds to Job's complaints against God, and he responds by saying something like, Who made you? Who made you? Who made the world in which you live? Who put it all together? Who sustains the world as we see it? And it's just one rhetorical question after the other, just endless questions from God, and on and on it goes. And what, what does Job finally, poof, realize in the end? He realizes... Actually, we see this in verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read it here for you fairly quickly. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Quote, unquote. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. See that posture of humility there? Here and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Quote, unquote. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, Lord, I have no idea how you run the universe. I have no idea why you allowed all this suffering to happen to me. Lord, forgive me for trying to play God here, for trying to control you. All right. Forgive me for trying to 
to, to, to do your job. So therefore, God, I repent. And incredibly, God never gives Job a clear answer or a clear reason as to why he disciplines Job in this very forceful, very intense kind of way. But there can be no doubt, was Job changed for the better through this experience of suffering? Is there any doubt that Job's faith grew and was strengthened? Is there any doubt that God's, or Job's respect for God and his love for God and his worship for God and, his, and God's sovereign will was fortified like never before? Well, there's no doubt. He was changed for the better. And therefore, it is good for you. It is wise for you. It is good for me. It is wise for me to just humbly face, admit before God your weakness, your limitations, your struggles with sin and temptation. Admit your mortality that you're not God when you are undergoing unexplained suffering in your life. It's the best thing for you to do. And a lot of you are suffering physically right now. A lot of you are suffering spiritually right now. A lot of you are suffering mentally right now. And it's just good. Just face that. Bring that to God. Bring that to His attention and do so boldly and confidently. Ready for a transition moment? Before I lose you, it's getting warm in here. It's getting a little sleepy, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's just perfect conditions for having a nice little nap on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, whatever it is. Anyhow, let's transition to verses 12 to 17. And what did these verses talk about? Uh, in these verses, I want to ask you this before we get into it. What is the first word of verse 12? Anybody? But, all right? But, that's important, meaning... Yes, my world is crashing down. Yes, life is brutal right now. Yes, it seems like God is crushing me. But, and I'll say it again, but, one more time for good measure, but you, Lord, are still sitting on your throne. You, Lord, are still in charge of the universe. You, Lord, are over and above all generations of humanity. That's a lot, by the way. Billions of people. You are in charge of people in the past, today, and in the future. Nations will fear you. That's how great you are. And yet, yet, God, despite your greatness and how awesome you are, you actually hear my desperate prayer. So God is listening. You, God, you hear the prayers of the destitute. You do not despise our prayers. And so can you see how the psalmist, he's now lifting his eyes up off of himself and up onto the greatness of God on his throne and how he's in charge of the universe, all right? He's lifting up his eyes from himself in this dark pit up into the hopeful reality of God and God's throne. That leads us to point number three, if you're following along in your notes. Point number three is this. In the middle of your suffering, take hope that the Lord is still sitting on his throne and that he's for you in Christ. He's for you in Christ. He's for you, not against you. In other words, in the middle of your cancer, but God. In the middle of your bankruptcy, but God, still on that throne. In the middle of your chronic pain, but God, still on that throne, still in charge, large and in charge. In the middle of your struggling marriage, but God, still on his throne. He's in charge of the universe, and again, he is for you. He is not against you, and there's nothing better than for God to be for you. Think about that. There's nothing better than for God to be on your side. And He is if you're in Christ. He's got in mind for you what is best. He's got in mind 
what is best for you in your life. No one better to have on side or on your team than God himself. I don't know if you've heard that. Let me illustrate by sharing this phrase. I think I've shared this phrase a few times, and I think I overused the phrase, but bear with me. The phrase is simply, hitching your wagon, hitch your wagon. And the phrase apparently comes from this guy, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, hitch your wagon to a star, because if you do, you get carried away to the stars and all your dreams will be fulfilled. Something like that. I don't know what it is. But I want to run with that phrase, hitch your wagon, okay? And if you hitch your wagon to something, that means you want to associate yourself with whatever you hitch your wagon to, whether it's stars or let's say you're a Blue Jays fan like I am. You know, I probably wrongly hitch too much of my happiness or non-happiness related to how the Blue Jays or how bad the Blue Jays do, okay? And, and if you hitch your wagon to the Blue Jays, you have the Blue Jays hat, you got the Blue Jays uh, jersey and all the rest, that shows that you're kind of hitching your wagon to the Blue Jays. Not probably a great idea. Or you might be a fitness person. You're all about fitness. And all you wear is fitness clothing all the time. And you live at the gym. In effect, what are you doing? You are kind of hitching your wagon to fitness, all right? And, and fitness is good, by the way, all right? But don't, don't hate me for whatever. I don't know. But let me submit to you that in order for you not to end up in a place of despair, in the middle of your suffering, here's what you got to do. you got to hitch your wagon to something. you got to hitch your wagon to God's throne. Hitch your wagon to God's throne in the middle of your dark suffering and your dark pit. Why? Again, there's no one greater to hitch your life to, to connect your life with. There is no one more capable, no one more loving, no, more un- no one more understanding, no one more gracious or merciful, I'm getting worked up now, and forgiving than the God of the Bible. Hitch your wagon to Him through faith in Christ. It's the best option for you. It's the best outcome for your life. It's all too easy for you and I to be consumed with fear and with guilt when we're going through hard times. We blame ourselves for it, and to some measure, we, we probably can. Uh, but I'm saying, in the middle of your despair, if you give up it, while these hard times are happening, here's what you're saying, okay? So you're going through a very difficult time, whether it's a health issue, a spiritual issue, or a mental health issue, and you're just saying, you know what, I just give up. I can't take it anymore. I'm done with God. I'm done with everything. Here's what you're saying if you're saying you're done with God. You are saying, my circumstances are actually more sovereign and more powerful and greater than God. God, apparently, he's unable to change my circumstances. So therefore, God is not all-powerful. He is not all-capable. He is not sovereign. That's what you're saying if you give up on God and, and find your, just stay in that place of despair. Not a good place. The reality is, this is not true. The Bible's clear. Nothing is impossible for God. God always does what he sets out to do. Nothing is impossible for him. Therefore, God is bigger than your circumstances. God is bigger than your suffering. God is bigger than your pain. All right? His love for you in Christ, and this may or may not be a word, is undefeatable. Is that a word? Anybody? Anybody? There's a few grammar, grammar people here. It is now. It is now. Okay, fantastic. Let's uh, phone up uh, the dictionary.com people. Uh, his love for you is undefeatable. Nothing stands in the way between you and God's love. All right? So in the middle of your suffering, you've got to take hope. That's my, I think we're going to put that hope uh, point on there just to recap. In the middle of your suffering, therefore, take hope. There's reason for hope. There's reason for hope. He is for you. He is not against you. He's not your enemy if you're in Christ. All right. For the sake of time, 
This is a long psalm. I think this is our last section here, as it's getting really toasty warm now. We're going to look at and summarize verses 18 to 28. And verses 18 and 28, here we see things become more hopeful. The, the light is being turned up now. It's not quite as dark as it once was earlier. And the psalmist is now, he's looking forward. There's reason for hope here. The, the hope that God has given to his people. God hears our groans. God sets free the doomed. All right? Uh, God gather, is going to gather his people together in the end to worship him. And he's going to gather people to worship him in a place that is ultimately secure and safe. This is the place known as the new heavens and the new earth that will replace this earth that we currently live in or what this earth that we live in is, will be transformed to become. And this is what I think this is alluding to in verses 25, 26, and 28. And that leads us to point number four in your notes. The final point is simply this. Take heart that God is eternal and His faithfulness outlasts us, the world, and our suffering. One more time. Take heart that God is eternal and His faithfulness outlasts us, the world, and our suffering. You may be aware that in the last uh, four years, our children have lost uh, two grandmothers, uh, my mom and my wife's mother. And in both cases, uh, they were lost to cancer. And uh, they, both of them did not want their lives to be cut short to the extent that they were. Uh, why? Well, they wanted to spend more time with their grandchildren. This is apparently what grandparents like to do. They like being with grandchildren a lot. It seemed like, I think my mom liked the grandkids more than she liked her own son. Anyhow, I'll probably have to answer to that at some point, but anyhow, it's funny how that works. Any grandparents want to admit to that? You like the grandchildren more than your own children? Okay. <laughs> All right, Carol knows what I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, so uh, let's talk about that. No, we won't talk about that. Um, but they wanted to spend more time with the grandkids, but for whatever reason, and for reasons only God knows, God took them home to be with him. They were both Christians sooner than later. Just a week or two ago, though, so it's been a while since they've both been gone, uh, I had a conversation with my son, and uh, I, I sort of, I don't know how it came up even, but I said something like, you know, mom, my mom was a, a, a cook and a baker extraordinaire and a seamstress. She was really into all that stuff. And uh, one thing that she was famous for were these homemade cinnamon buns. Any cinnamon bun fans out there? I mean... Yeah, they were pretty good, and uh, she made them in her own kind of way. I was not a fan, but any other people were. Again, she's going to get me for saying that uh, at some point. But anyhow, the kids love these cinnamon buns, and I made the comment, imagine in heaven, Grandma's going to be making those cinnamon buns for eternity for, us, for you to enjoy. I won't have any, but you will. Um, and won't that be a great thing? Won't that be a wonderful thing? Okay. And then I said something about, um, you know, you're, you're, you guys are going to be able to spend tons and tons and tons of time with Grammy, my wife's mother, uh, who is just the epitome of gentleness and compassion. And it was just this, this poignant reminder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cancer, it cut their lives short. Yes, their suffering at the end, it was, it was nasty. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. But the thing is, God outlasts their cancer. He's bigger than their cancer. His faithfulness outlasts their time on earth. Their time on earth was brief, but he will show that faithfulness to him and is showing them that faithfulness right now in a much better place. God outlasts their suffering and our suffering. God outlasts this very broken and corrupt and cancer-filled world in which we live. And so a day is coming. Jesus is coming back, 
and he's coming to set the world aright. And the new heavens and the new earth he is bringing with him, and they will replace or transform this current earth in which we live. It will replace this broken world that we exist in. Death and cancer going to be gone forever. God's people in this new place will worship and enjoy and glorify and live with God forever, for eternity, and it's going to be a perfect place. Why? Why is this happening? Here's why. God's faithfulness and God himself outlasts our world's brokenness, our own brokenness. Therefore, as I close, would you take heart? What a great, real, substantial hope that we have for us in Christ. If you want to take the next steps towards Jesus, if you're new to Christianity, something today has kind of clicked, come talk to me. Let's have that conversation. I love to have those conversations um, because Christianity is so, so powerful and it's so powerful what Jesus has done for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And I would love to have that conversation with you. You can talk to me or talk to another Christian that you know here. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the hope that you've given us. Sometimes it's so overwhelming to not only just face the world's corruption and just the mess that our world seems to be in, but our own corruption, our own sinful corruption, or even the corruption that our bodies are undergoing as we're undergoing suffering in our bodies and all the rest. And, and so many in this room are suffering in some way. Thank you for the hope that you've given us in Christ. I pray that if there is someone in the room who is at least ready to take that exploratory step to, to check you out, Jesus, and, sh and ensure that you're real and to get a better grasp of what you've done for us in your cross and in your resurrection, I pray that they would take that step today by talking to somebody. Lord, we come to the time of your, uh, the Lord's Supper as we remember all that you've done for us and as we confess our sins to you. Be present with us now, Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen.